If you guys take your Bible and turn to Titus chapter 1, that's where we're going to be today. Um, in the video we just watched, that's uh, J.I. Packer. He was the author of the book, uh, Knowing God, among several others. Um, in the video we just watched, Packer says this, that faith is the most momentous reality I can think of. And he challenged us to know the truth of the Bible and to base our faith on it. Now, the reality is that faith has no power in itself. Now, we speak like it does. We say things like, that guy has a really strong faith. But the reality is that faith is more like an extension cord. Okay, An extension cord has all of the power of the thing in which it's plugged into. Okay, if An extension cord laying on the floor can't power anything. But you plug it into the wall and it'll power your appliances. Faith is that way. Faith has no power of itself, but it attaches itself to the power of its object. For this reason, faith in Jesus is central to our experience as a Christian. We attach our faith to Jesus, that he is who the Bible says he is, that he did what the Bible says he did. And we rest not only our future hope, but our present joy By faith, we rest that in Jesus. And so faith, our faith attaches itself to Jesus and it's central to our experience as a Christian. However, it'd be a real mistake for us to think that faith was a uniquely Christian experience. Everybody in the world has faith and attaches it to something. Some of us have faith in ourselves. And we think that by self-help, we can make ourselves better. We think our achievement is our hope. We think that control will deliver us from the feeling of being anxious and worried. And so we place faith in ourselves in those things. Some of us place faith in other false things like comfort or false religions, or more or less government, or marriage, or money. And we have our faith, and we're attaching our faith to those things, hoping that in those things we'll find future hope and present joy. Some of us place our faith in our faith. And we're counting not on Jesus and his commitment to his people. We're counting on the idea that we might be sincere enough. And so we have not faith in Jesus, but we have our faith in our faith in Jesus. But for any of us who do not attach our faith to Jesus, our faith is in the wrong place. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus... Packer on the video suggests that the problem is that we are not taking God seriously enough, that our faith is not connected to the knowledge of God's word. And since faith is only as strong as its object, our faith is weak and frail. And if that's you today, if you feel more like the tree on the left than the tree on the right, then Titus is for you. If you feel like your faith is much more like the tree on the left than the tree on the right, then Titus is for you. And this series called Faithful, a study through the book of Titus, is for you. 
Now, Titus is a letter written by Paul in the mid-60s, roughly 30 to 35 years after the death of Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he writes it to encourage real faith. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5. We'll read 1 through 5. Okay? I want to read. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Now, that's one sentence for you grammarians. Okay? That's one sentence. In fact, that's the longest introduction Paul has in all of his letters. Verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete. This is Paul writing to Titus. This is why I, Paul, left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, Paul grounds the purpose Not just for Titus, but for all of his ministry in the faith of God's elect. Look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. So Paul is grounding all of his ministry, not just the letter of Titus, but all of his ministry is grounded in this reality. He does it, he's a servant, and he's a sent one for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that accords with godliness. And so Paul is writing this letter to Titus so that the faith of God's people could be real. And there's three components of it. I've got a lot of lists today, so just track with me. Three components of this faith. There's a personal faith. He's writing for the faith of God's elect. So there's a personal faith here. The personal, active attaching of our faith to God through Jesus Christ. Second component of this faith is the knowledge of the truth. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. So there's a knowledge component. He wants these people to know the truth. And the third component is real life change. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. There's life change that comes from faith and knowledge of the truth. It accords with godliness when our faith is in Jesus. And what Paul wants for Titus, for the church in Crete, and by extension for us, is that we would be faithful. And so our goal for this series is that we would be faithful followers of Jesus who are distinct from the world. That we would be a faithful church living as a picture of what faithful life looks like in the world. Can you imagine how attractive that is? And that people who are liars and empty talkers would meet Jesus through the gospel and be changed. That's our prayer. 
So I want to pray that, and then we'll jump into the book of Titus today. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for your word. Thank you that your word is true, that Paul was entrusted with it, that he was faithful with it, that he would raise up young men like Timothy and Titus, that he would write to them to instruct them and encourage them, that the Holy Spirit was inspiring every word on this page, that this this word is inspired, authoritative, it's true, we can learn from it, it's profitable. So God, would you make your word profitable today in us for the sake of your name and for your glory. Lord, we want to be a faithful church full of faithful men and women who are living lives that honor you. And if that's going to happen, we need your good gospel today. So would you meet with us and speak to us through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Now, anytime we start a new series, I really like to start with some background information. I want to talk about who wrote the letter why was it written? What's going on culturally? Where the church is? Where that that this letter gets to? Um, and so, a lot of history today, lots of background info today, and and uh, so if that's not really your thing, just kind of hang with me until the end, and then it's going to be like practical. Okay, I know some of this stuff can feel like, well, when's he going to get to the practical stuff? We'll get there. Okay, but I think we need to understand the background in order for us to apply it into our lives. So, Titus, this letter is the third of three letters known as pastoral epistles. There are three pastoral epistles in the New Testament, first and second Timothy and Titus. And they're called pastoral epistles because they're letters, which is the word epistle written to pastors. Okay. Timothy and Titus are pastors in local church. And Paul, who had heavily influenced these men, is writing to them to communicate something to them about how they need to lead in their context. So let's talk about three main characters in the letter. We're going to talk about Paul, Titus, and Crete, the the island itself. First, let's talk about Paul. Now, uh, some background on who Paul is. Roughly 30 to 35 years before this letter was written, Jesus was hanging on a Roman cross, dying for the sin of the world. Jesus was dead. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And the gospel just erupts all over the known world, all over Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now, in that time, there's a man named Paul who is actively opposed to this message of the gospel. Not, he's not indifferent toward it. He's passionately opposed to it. And he's on his way to Damascus to put people in jail for following Jesus. While he's on the way, Jesus himself appears to Paul And says, Paul, you belong to me. I'm going to send you on a mission to the Gentiles to take the gospel to them. And you're going to suffer for it. Paul's life, a hater of God. Paul's life is radically changed. And he becomes one of the best church planters in the history of Christian faith. Now, Paul goes on three missionary journeys that are recorded in the book of Acts. And apparently there's a fourth one where he gets to Crete, shares the gospel, and a church is born. Now, notice how Paul defines himself to Titus. Look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
Paul defines himself as literally a slave. And not just a slave of God, an apostle, a sent one, one sent with a message. And so what Paul is doing here in verse one is saying, I'm a man under authority. I'm a slave and I'm a sent one. And in this idea, Paul is saying that I'm sent with the authority of the one who sent me. Paul's not saying I've got authority. You should follow me. He's saying I'm sent by one who bears all authority. And then finally, in verse three, he says that he's been entrusted by the command of God. Excuse me. He's been entrusted with the word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God, our savior. So Paul is not coming on his own authority. He's been entrusted with this message by God. The next main character is a guy named Titus. Now, we don't know much about Titus from the New Testament here in verse four. It says to Titus, my true child in a common faith. So apparently he's a close disciple of Paul. He may have even been led to Christ by Paul. Paul calls him a true child. Now, this phrase is a term of endearment, not a statement of Titus's abilities or Paul's respect for him. It's a term of endearment. We could read child in a common faith and think intern. Or JV. But that's not what Paul's communicating. Titus is mentioned in two of Paul's other letters. He's mentioned in Galatians. He's also mentioned in Second Corinthians. Where Titus is put in charge of collecting money. So Paul trusted him. Paul thought highly of Titus. But notice two things. First. He wrote Titus a letter telling him what to do. Titus, I trust you. I love you. And here's what you need to do. Second, he left him in Crete. And the more you understand about Crete, the higher you'll understand Paul's respect for this young man. Which leads us to the next main character in the story. Crete. Now, the other references to Crete in the New Testament are in the account of Paul's voyage to Rome in Acts 27. And Paul lands in uh, the harbor at Fair Havens there on the island of Crete, but he didn't spend a lot of time there. And it's probable that that's not when he first planted the gospel there. Crete is an island off the coast of Greece. Uh, the Cretans, and you've heard that word used, the Cretans, um, they thought of themselves as true Greeks. They believed everyone else was a false Greek. They believed that the gods themselves were born on the island of Crete and then went to Mount Olympus. Uh, You may remember some stories like Theseus and the Minotaur and poets like Homer. All of these are connected with the island of Crete. The island was also known for mercenaries and pirates. In verse 12, we see that a prophet of their own, uh, Epimenides, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So Paul dumps Titus in the middle of a bad Johnny Depp movie and says, make elders. We see three types of Cretans in Titus. 
We see secular Cretans. They're liars. They're evil beasts and lazy gluttons. These are people who have placed their faith in food, authority, and patriotism. To deliver them from, or to help them get a future hope and a present joy. Then there's religious Cretans. They see the culture, they know they don't want to be that, and so they react by becoming religious. And Paul describes them as empty talkers, deceivers, and insubordinate people. See, what we think, and some of us, we've experienced Christianity this way, that Christianity means not being like the world. And so what it means is we have to go over here and be religious. Religion only produces proud liars and despairing people who are tired. That's all it will produce. It will not produce joyful, hope-filled people. It will certainly not produce faithful followers. And so Paul sees secular Cretans and religious Cretans. And then there's a third group, the faithful Cretans. Titus didn't import people for his church. He had to, he had to go into uh, pirates and missionaries and, and mercenaries and share the gospel and see God raise up faithful believers out of that. And we see that in Titus. Now, there's um, five themes of Titus. Um, and, and here they are. The first one is insubordinate people. That's a theme. That's a major theme of the book of Titus. There are people in this church who are insubordinate. They're mentioned in verses 10 through 12. They're insubordinate. And Paul tells Titus, this is how you lead them. This is how you speak to them. This is how many times you deal with them. Look at chapter three, verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. In other words, three strikes, I'm done with you. Doesn't sound loving, does it? That's God's word. Three strikes, I'm done. For insubordinate people. That's not talking about people who are just struggling with sin. That's people who are stirring up problems. And a leader's got to be able to stand up to them. I want to clearly say Exodus has been blessed. We haven't had to deal with real issues like this. We've been blessed by God. And I'm really grateful for that. Because as much as you might think I love saying three strikes you're out, there's nothing in me that enjoys that. But because of what God's called me to do, I have to do that. Second, second theme of the book of Titus is faithful leaders. Again, Paul drops Titus on this island full of crazy and says, Hey, buddy, I know we kind of started this little church plant thing. Now I need you to make elders out of these people. And I need you to create a community where older people want to mentor younger people and younger people will listen. Get after it. Have fun. And so Titus is going to need faithful leaders around him. And Paul spends most of chapter one talking about these faithful leaders, who they're to be, what they're to do. So next week, we'll talk about the importance of leaders in the church, because what the leaders are, the church will be. And we'll get the privilege of commissioning Ben Hirsch to pastoral ministry next Sunday.
Really excited about that. The third theme of the book of Titus is the emptiness of religion. Again, the culture of Crete was a nightmare. It's like being stuck in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney. Just awful. And like with any culture, there were these people who reacted by becoming religious. And Paul wants Titus to understand that's empty. All religious moralism, all empty religion, all this idea of I'm going to try my best to do better. All that creates is empty talk. Proud people who are lying. And despairing people who are tired. That's all it creates. And for many of us, that's our experience of Christianity. And that's what you think people are calling you to. And you're, you're trying to be a good person, but you keep carrying this feeling that you're inadequate, that, that you're never going to do it right enough, long enough, that, that, you're, that you're, you're never going to measure up. But you, you think that's what Christianity is about, that you die and go to heaven and until then you're miserable. And that's not the gospel. And Titus is going to remind us that religion is empty. Which gets us to our fourth theme, and that's the life-changing gospel. The life-changing gospel. Now, Paul engages a secular culture and a religious culture with the gospel. He doesn't tell the secular culture you ought to be religious. He tells both of them, you need to repent. You're never going to get satisfied, secular world. You're never going to be happy, religious world. The only way to do to both of those is through Jesus in the gospel. And so both of you repent and come to Jesus. I can't wait till Easter Sunday. That's April 5th. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a wonderful day. And, and I get to preach Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace appeared. And it's not a grace that lets us stay in the world and be a liar and a lazy glutton. It's a grace that calls us to renounce that. And it teaches us. Notice that. Teaches How long did it take you to learn to walk? How long did it take you to ride a bike? How long did it take you to learn how to make a decent omelet? It takes time. It teaches us to say no to all this mess. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Man, I can't wait to preach that passage. I love that. We'll have three services that day. 8, 9, 30, 11. Set your alarm. The last theme of the book of Titus is this call to be a mentoring community. He spends the majority of chapter 2 talking about the importance of a mentoring community. Verse 
the call for older men, older women, to invest in younger men and younger women. And the call for younger to listen. Now, what's interesting to me is that all of these take shape in the introduction in verses 1 through 5. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. You see all those themes right there. First, you see Paul submitting to authority. Writing to a culture of insubordinate people, Paul says, I'm a man under authority. I'm a slave and a sent one of God. The only authority I have is connected to the one who sent me. Paul submits to authority. And he needs to model that because even Christian Cretans would struggle with that. Why? Because it's a part of their culture. They were born into a reality that they were the true Greeks. Everybody else was wrong. Just like American Christians struggle with materialism, individualism, and self-reliance. Why? Because we're born into a culture filled with it. So Paul doesn't just declare the importance of submitting to authority. He demonstrates it in his life. Second. Paul sacrifices leaders, excuse me, Paul sacrifices so that leaders can be appointed. Verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete. Can you imagine the sacrifice that was for Paul? How much easier would it have been for him to say, hey, Titus, you're going to stay with me. You're going to stay right here so that we can do this together and I can have somebody to lean on. But, but no, he sacrificed, pushed him out. Hey, buddy. That island with the crazy, I'm going to leave you there so that the gospel can spread. Think about it this way. Think about it as a community group leader who has someone who who can share the load with them. Who needs to be sent out to plant a new community group. Paul sacrificed so that leaders could be appointed. Third, Paul brings the gospel to bear on empty religion. So that is part and parcel of Paul's call to ministry, but it's also for the sake of this letter he's writing to Titus. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So the answer to the culture of Crete is not religion. It's faith in God. So Paul is writing for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. And those things result in a life of godliness. And so Paul's bringing the gospel to bear on these things. And what fuels this for Paul is the hope of eternal life. Look at verse 2. In hope of eternal life. Now this gets really confusing. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies... Now, that's a slam on Cretan culture, okay? Because their gods were always lying. If you read if you read Greek mythology, it reads like a soap opera, okay? I mean, just read it. I mean, it's, it's kind of fun to read if you like that sort of stuff. And, and they're always lying and deceiving folks. 
which God, our God, who never lies. And the gods we trust in today, like power and success and achievement and control, those lie. Our God never lies. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. So there's this eternal life that was promised before the ages began. This eternal life that has this future hope and also brings present joy. It was promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I've been entrusted. So there's this hope of eternal life. (laughs) This future hope that grants present joy manifested when Paul preaches. Hope is not a reality that empty religion produces. Religious people are not hopeful. They're scared. They're scared that they're not going to do it right, that they're not going to be enough, that they're going to fail and everybody's going to find out because they're empty talkers. So they're scared. They're not hopeful. Secular people aren't hopeful either. Gospel people are hopeful. And so Paul brings the gospel to bear on empty religion. Finally, Paul models the importance of mentoring. Look at verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. He's going to spend most of chapter 2 unpacking how that works in a church. But Paul is modeling mentoring. He writes two letters to Timothy and one to Titus. And the two to Timothy are like, hey, buddy, I know you're scared, but God didn't give you a spirit of fear. God didn't give that to you. He gave you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So remember Jesus, read your Bible, get at it. He writes to Titus, buddy, I love you. You're in a bad place. You're in a rough spot. God's going to be with you. It's going to be all right. The reality is we need older men and women to be mentoring younger men and women, and we need younger men and women who will listen. Now, mentoring is not making people like you. God called you to make disciples, not clones. And I get real nervous when I see that. When people start doing the same thing the, the person they're following is doing, I get nervous. God called us to make disciples, not clones. So here's a few practical questions. What's keeping you on the sidelines of mentoring? Well, I don't have time. Well, maybe that time ought to be invested eternally. We've all got the same 24-hour day. Man, Brian, I'm just ashamed. You don't know what my life has been. You don't know what my life's been. Let's believe the gospel together and believe that Jesus can forgive us and use us. Maybe there are some real issues that mean you shouldn't be mentoring. I'm not denying that. So let's repent. Let's get grace to teach us to say no to those things. And then let's get in the game. Who is your Paul? Who's the person a little further down the road, a little further down the journey who's pouring into you? I want to say real quick, don't be passive and hope that person finds you. Find them. 
Who's your Titus? Who are you pouring into? Men, some of us are in our 30s and we're bemoaning the idea that we don't have a Paul and none of us have looked for our Titus. And so, so that we don't become the 60, the 50s and 60 year old men who aren't mentoring, let's start in our 30s. Paul's going to model that. He modeled that in Titus. He modeled that in Timothy. He loved those men. You're my true child. Man, you're like a son to me. You're not a son, but you're like a son. It's a metaphor. So, what's your application? Again, you can see in the graphic for our series, this, this idea of growing from what seems dead to what seems really alive. And many of us feel like that tree on the left far more than the tree on the right. And how timely it is, because this, this is my favorite time of year. I mean, to think about how beautiful God made the spring. Martin Luther said this, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf in springtime. And, and as trees that have been bare all winter are going to start budding, And leaves are going to appear. You're going to see these beautiful purples scattered in the woods as you drive. You're going to see these beautiful white flowers start to come out on dogwoods. And then we're going to have that yellow snow that will descend (laughs) and lay siege to our lives. But what we will see is beauty. As dead, what seemed to be dead is now springing back to glorious life. Cheryl and I were driving back from Asheville yesterday. And, um, man, some, you could see the, the, the wood of the trees. And you could just see it dotted with reds and oranges as those buds are coming out. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's what we're praying for this series in Titus. That we would see real gospel growth in our lives. That we would grow in our faithfulness. So that we might be fruitful. So I have one question today. How do you need to grow in faithfulness? How do you need to grow in faithfulness? Paul summed up his ministry in three areas of faithfulness. Life change, that his message accorded with godliness. Knowledge of the truth, that he came so that the that the people of God could know the truth and faith. He, he was sent for the faith of God's elect. So how do you need to grow in these areas? How do you need to grow in life change? The faith that Paul is sent for is a faith that changes lives. Now we live in the American South. And faith here is the checking of a box, the getting of a shirt, the getting wet, and no change of life. That is not the faith of the Bible. And if you got wet and checked a box, you need to deal with God's word. If that's all that happened, that might be empty religion. Because the faith of the Bible is a faith that changes lives. Now, it is not about us trying our best I have never walked by a tree and heard it moaning. I have never walked by a tree and seen someone out there going, tree, you better. No, the tree's just alive and it produces things. 
The gospel will teach us to say no to ungodliness. It will teach us to say yes to righteousness. It will teach us. We will stumble. We will fall. We will get some F's on our grades. We will, but it will teach us. So how do you need to say no and where do you need to say yes? How do you need to grow in life change? Well, it's grace. Yeah, it's grace that teaches you to say no. Second, how do you need to grow in your knowledge of the truth? Paul was sent for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. God wants you to know some things about his word and about him. He wants you to know some things. Are you growing in your knowledge of the truth? I was talking to a guy a few weeks ago. I know, I know negative numbers about cars. Like I, I know where the gas goes and how to get it somewhere to fix it. But that's really about all I know about cars. And I was talking to a guy the other day. And you can judge me. That's fine. It's part of the economic food chain. That's just kind of how I view it. Um, so the, I was talking to a guy, though, who fixes his own car. I said, how'd you learn how to do that? Because he and I have a similar dad story and, you know, that whole deal. I said, how'd you learn how to do that? He said, YouTube. I said, what? He said, YouTube. I pull up a video about how to fix whatever. And that's how I fixed my car. YouTube shows me how. Unbelievable. You taught yourself how to work on a car with YouTube. Yes. Wow. And you and I talk about how we don't know anything about the Bible. How do you need to grow in your knowledge of the truth? I'm not suggesting you do that on YouTube. I am suggesting you do it. How do you need to grow in your knowledge of the word? Now, don't get proud if you're out there. I know God's well, good. So are you mentoring people? How do you need to grow in your knowledge of the word? Man, I'm amazed at the amount of access we have to biblically faithful teaching. We have books that we don't have to be in prison to get, that we don't have to go to jail if we're caught with them. We're free to purchase and read them. We have devices that can access everything in the world. We get videos, lectures, all this stuff that can help us grow in our knowledge of the word. So how do you need to grow? Don't beat yourself up if you don't know things. Just grow. Third, how do you need to take a step of faith today? So Paul came for the, faith, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So how do you need to grow in life change? How do you need to grow in your knowledge of the truth? How do you need to grow in your faith? How do you need to take a step of faith toward God? Secular lust will leave you flat. Being a glutton on everything the world provides will leave you flat. It will not satisfy you. Empty religion will leave you empty. It will make you a liar or tired or both. Only faith in Jesus will deal with that gnawing feeling that you're not adequate. That idea that you're just not really safe. And that idea that you just can't do it right enough, long enough. The only thing that will deal with that is faith in Jesus. And so rather than running to the world and running to religion, let's run to Jesus. And take a step of faith toward him.
For some of you, you've never taken that step of faith toward Jesus today. You've never done that. You you took a step toward religion. You're trying to be a better person. You're trying to do it better. But you've never taken a step of faith toward Jesus. We're not calling you to religion. We're calling you to Jesus today. And Paul was sent with this message. But Jesus was sent as this message. The grace of God appeared. That's Jesus. God so loved Cretans that he sent Jesus to die so that liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, religious liars, deceivers, and empty talkers, so that all of them could have faith in Jesus Christ. Their sins forgiven, their lives filled with hope. Paul was sent with that message. Jesus was sent as that message. So if you're here today and you've never taken a step of faith toward Jesus, why? He's the only one with hope that was promised ages ago before the world began. And he came to live a perfect life, die a death, rise from dead, from the dead so that you could have hope. So what's keeping you from that step of faith today? What's keeping you from trusting him? What's keeping you from attaching your faith to him today? Repent of that and draw near to him. Let's pray.